You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, Hebrew word for may God be praised. I think he just was. In the second century, there was a follower of Jesus Christ by the name of Irenaeus. And Irenaeus said, the glory of God is a person fully alive. As I've studied the story of the resurrection of Lazarus this week, I've, came, I've come more and more to the conviction that it's less about Lazarus' life than it is about our own. It's less about getting Lazarus out of his tomb, and it's more about getting us out of our gloom and into the fullness of Jesus Christ's life. Are you fully alive and living life to the full? Would you open up your Bible to John chapter 11? Our text this morning is John 11, verses 17 through 27, which you'll find that on a page of, at the bottom of page 873 in the Pew Bible. And as you turn there, if you're able, would you stand with me and let's read God's word aloud together as his people. When we're done reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say thanks be to God. It's John eleven seventeen through 27. Listen carefully. You're reading God's holy word. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to her, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what you just read never will. Please be seated. I told you that a good book is always a short book, so I surprised myself in having taken on a 1,200-page book. And I found out that Ken Kirstead and I were reading the same book. It's uh, Alexander Dumas's The Count of Monte Cristo. Have you, have you read that book or seen the movie? I just want to remind you of that story. I don't think I need a spoiler alert on something that's hundreds of years old. Uh, this is a story about Monte Cristo, but that's a pseudonym for a guy really named Edmond Dantes. And it's a really a story, not just about Edmund Dantes, but about disappointment. Profound disappointment. Edmund Dantes is living the dream. Everything is going well in his life. 
just comes back from sea, gets a promotion to captain, reunited with the love of his life, engaged, and on the day of his wedding, it all falls apart. Complete loss. Turns out there were a couple of guys who, very ambitious and jealous of Edmond Dantes's life, join a conspiracy against him, denounce him before political authorities, and Edmond Dantes, just like that, is thrown into the darkness of a dungeon in a prison on an island. For 14 years, he rots, fuming. Angry because of the disappointment of a life that was just taken away from him, just like that. He develops a plan. Circumstances uh, unexpectedly allow him to replace himself with a dead man. He stitches himself inside of a body bag. And unaware, the guards toss him over the wall into the sea, cuts himself out, and he swims free. What a great picture, by the way, of the gospel. God says to you and to me, uh, as he becomes flesh, human, and uh, uh, goes through the cross into a tomb, will you let me stitch you into the grave clothes of your Savior so that when he blows forth into everlasting life, you go with him and he sets you free? See, Jesus gives us life, and he tells us that in this text. He says, everyone who lives and believes will never die. You'll be finally alive someday. And this is an amazing thing. And if you haven't ever said yes to Jesus Christ, let him give you that assurance in your life. Let today be the day. But I want to suggest to you that there's so much more. Jesus doesn't just want to make us finally alive. He wants to make us fully alive. And if you look again, you'll see that Jesus doesn't just say... If you live and believe, you'll never die. He also says, those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. See, he doesn't just want to prevent us from dying. He wants to empower us to live. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. His mission will not be fulfilled until you, until I, live our lives fully alive in Christ. And so now he's face to face with Martha and he's looking at her and he's saying, Martha, do you believe this? I am the resurrection and the life. I can make you fully alive. Do you believe this? Well, it's a hard thing to believe when you're facing kind of disappointment that she's facing. Think about, though, the power of disappointment in our lives. Think about the dynamic of disappointment. I went to the dictionary. Dictionary says, Disappointment is the feeling of sadness or displeasure caused by the non-fulfillment of one's hopes or expectation. The feeling of sadness or displeasure caused by the non-fulfillment of one's hopes or expectations. That's disappointment. Did you hear hope in there? This is why it's so important for a church who's called to share hope in Jesus Christ to understand disappointment. Because when your hope is not fulfilled, you're going to be disappointed. And what is it doing in you, disappointment? Every one of us experiences disappointment. I mean, we get disappointed about major things. You know, our health, 
the outcomes of a surgery. We get disappointed about minor things, the, the weather, or for me, after I came back from a bike ride last night, the temperature of our water as our furnace had been shut, uh, shut down. Um, Right? Big things, little things. We get disappointed about our careers, if we're teenagers, our parents, uh, about retirement, about the disinterest of a spouse. Uh, all of these things. So many times we were disappointed, we forget that it's not normal to be disappointed. I mean, that, that, that life isn't supposed to be ultimately disappointing. It, we just kind of absorb the disappointment after disappointment. And what happens is every time one of your hopes is dashed on the rocks of circumstances that just will not yield it up, something inside of you dies. Maybe just a little bit of you, maybe a big bit of you, dies. It's not alive anymore. Your hope is not increasing in Jesus it's getting harder and harder to find in the darkness of your gloom. See, and so many of us have trouble getting out of bed in the morning. It's not because there isn't a lot to do in the day. We know there's a lot to do in the day. It's that we can't think of a reason to go and do it all. We're just devoid of meaning and purpose. And ask a friend of yours who's really going through a season of disappointment, and they're aware of it. What they're going to tell you is, you know, it's just like everything's gray. Everything's gray get up in the morning and I just don't see colors a- anymore. Why? What's happening? The Bible tells us in Proverbs thirteen twelve, hope deferred, that's disappointment, makes the heart sick. It's losing vitality. Day after day, degree by degree. So that pretty soon you don't even realize it, but you're walking wounded. No, you're walking dead. Jesus is face to face with Martha and saying, in your grief here, I got a feeling you're dead and you don't even know it. I am the resurrection and the life. By the way, it's the power of disappointment that makes addiction so enslaving. In the midst of that gray world, You and I will lash out and grab anything that we think will make color come, even just for a moment, a quick fix of feeling alive, if not being alive. And so we go after alcohol or adrenaline or addiction, you know, shopping or what, you know, whatever it is. But there's always a letdown, isn't there? There's always a crash. Because these things, they don't satisfy. They don't really give us life. In fact, they, they give us more disappointment once we come off that high. And now we're worse than we were before. And that's the power of addiction. Get in the head of Martha just for a minute. When Jesus says, do you believe this, Martha? You know, it's tick, tick, tick. Because she's going over her disappointment. She, she said, you, you're asking me this question? Knowing that my brother is dead, has been for four days, you could have made a difference, and you decided to slow down? You ask me if I believe in life? Jesus loves his family. Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, they were three adult siblings, never any mention of a mother or a father. Very likely, they had died perhaps a long time ago. These three orphans made their home together. It's no wonder Jesus took interest in them. He loves the widow. He loves the orphan. And he loves this family. He would stay with them. They lived in Bethany, just two miles east of Jerusalem. So when he comes down from the wilderness or from Galilee to do ministry in Jerusalem... He would say what was really his home, Martha and Mary and Lazarus. 
So the first sign of illness in Lazarus, when it looks like it's more than just a cold, and maybe this thing could go south quickly, they send a, a messenger to the wilderness. Martha says, go find Jesus. Go to the wilderness north where John the Baptist has been baptizing. Go call him down here quickly. Tell him, Lord, the one you love is sick. And you ask me if I believe in life. Lord, if you had been here, you could have saved him. That's what she says. Is that not disappointment? Lord, it's too little. It's too late. If you had been here, it would have all been different. Martha says it, and showing its importance. Mary says it, exact same words. That's what this text is about. Your disappointment. Lord, if you'd, if you'd been there, if you'd done something, anything, we wouldn't be here right now under the shadow of gloom. She's got what I would call a hope-killing disappointment in her life. What do you do when you find yourself there? What do you do when even the hope within you is finally gone? How could you restore a heart that's sick unto death? Well, the answer to the question in this text is not uh, a what or a how, but a who. Jesus Christ, the one who is face to face with you and me right now in worship this morning. He's gathered us here to put to you the question he put to Martha. Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? I want to make you fully alive. Not just finally, but fully today. Now, how does he do that? I wonder if you just give me a moment. I want to share two ways that he does that for Martha. And I think he wants to do it. I'm sure he wants to do it for me and for you today. The first thing Jesus does for Martha is he heals her hope. Jesus heals her hope. He does it by redefining hope. He changes it from someday to this day. Notice the little interchange that goes back and forth. Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus says, your brother will, will rise. And she says, I know, I know. Don't talk to me like someone who's never been to Sunday school. I get it. I know like a good Jewish girl that there is uh, something coming that you call the last day and the resurrection. And everybody is going to come back to life, to judgment, one way or the other. I get it. I know the seeing the flannel graphs. And Jesus looks at her and she says, I am. The resurrection. See, I am the future. Standing before you in the present. Offering you life right now. You, you catch that? He, he changes the definition of hope. It's not about someday. Everything's going to work out okay. The sun will come out tomorrow, we like to say. Right? It, it, there's always hope for tomorrow. It's only a day away. And the problem is the future is always a day away. And it's never today, is it? And Jesus says, today, right now, right in front of you, I am the future. You don't find your hope by wishing circumstances will work out better tomorrow. You find your hope by relating to me today. That's what hope is. It's a relationship, not a prospect. The second thing Jesus does after healing her hope is he defeats her darkness. And you, 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 um, you've seen that Jesus reveals the heart of God so powerfully in this text. What an amazing text. 
We get to the shortest verse in the Bible. I always recommend short things. As a memory verse, this would be perfect. Jesus began to weep. Or in some translations, Jesus wept. He reveals the heart of God. How powerful it is to see God's heart in the midst of our disappointments. How he responds to the things that grieve us. See, this is not really about what Jesus is going to do for Lazarus. Jesus knows he's going to bring Lazarus back from the dead. In verse 4, verse 11, he said, this is the plan. The narrators let us know. We know Lazarus is going to come back to life as we read this. But what surprises us is that even though Jesus knows that, when he sees the grief around him, his heart breaks. Verse 33, he's not crying because Lazarus is death. He's crying because he sees the grief in Martha. When Jesus saw her, Mary and Martha, weeping, And the Jews who came with her, also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit. Jesus began to weep, verse 35. He cries. Jesus has entered her gloom. The divine heart is so resonating with the loss. He cries. This is who God is. The psalmists have told us this all along, the whole scripture. But listen to Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. That's just who he is. And that's always where you'll find him. Near the brokenhearted. Working salvation for those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 56, 8 says, here's the psalmist speaking directly to the Lord in prayer. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. God's never let one of your tears drop. They're precious to him. He holds them in a bottle. They provoke his own tears. But it's not just the grief of God that we see. I mean, if he were just desperately sad, like we're desperately sad in our losses, where would the hope be? He goes further than that. He takes on the posture of a warrior, actually. He gets angry. The climax of this text is in a Greek word that's translated greatly disturbed. We see it in verse 33 and in verse 38. When Jesus saw her weeping, uh, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. If we were talking about horses, as this word comes out in classical Greek, it would be translated snort. Jesus snorted. When this word is used of, of individuals, human beings... It talks about the snort of buried indignation that comes out in a belch of anger. Jesus, when he looks around the courtyard facing the tomb of Lazarus, and he looks into the face of all of these friends and family who are grieving together, brokenhearted, now Jesus can see for himself the brokenness of this creation and the pain of death. And remember, he is life. The one who abolishes death and brings life and immortality to light. The one in him is the life and light of all people. Jesus now, the life of God, the author of life, comes face to face with his enemy. The last enemy, Paul tells us. Death itself. And he squares off with the author of death, as we said in our creed. The dark one, the evil one. And he sees him in the faces of these people who are devastated. And Jesus gets angry. He's not angry at their reaction. He's angry at what causes them to have to have that reaction. This is the jealousy of God that is hostile against everything that will rip us out of his heart. 
and destroy the life that he wants to put within us. He takes up arms against that which afflicts you and disappoints you. This is like, as John writes this, Moses and Miriam dancing on the other side of the Red Sea, saying, the Lord is a warrior. He's fought on our behalf. Indeed, Jesus is coming to Jerusalem. Indeed, the resurrection or resuscitation of Lazarus will provoke Jesus' own death. The authorities will say, we've got to kill him. Both of them, actually, which is ironic. We've got to keep Lazarus dead, and we've got to put Jesus to the death. And he will go, and he will go to do battle for you on his cross, and then to come victorious out of the grave, and to offer us all new life. I was uh, talking about Lazarus years ago, decades ago, I think, at, um, at Harvard University, where I used, to, I used to work with college students in Boston. We did our citywide meeting Friday nights at Harvard, and uh, I was talking about this text, and we had a great worship service, and I walked out, and I heard, you know, it was a great celebration, and I heard someone crying um, on a bench out in the Science Center, uh, North, uh, Narthex, uh, entryway, the lobby. And I'm pretty used to people crying uh, when they have to listen to me speak for a while. It's a <laughs> gnashing of teeth going on, and I thought, oh, no, like, and I dropped another bomb, and I, if I can get home discreetly. But I, I, I uh, realized, I learned what the problem was. They were tears of joy. This was a young woman, a student, whose father had passed away exactly a year prior. And she had just come to faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, she had been riding on the subway a month prior to this meeting. And uh, she had seen a, a group of people who were really having fun together. They were joking around. And they reached out to her and welcomed them into the play on the tea that they were doing. And she said, who are you people? And said, well, we're a group of Christian college students. And we're going to a worship service together over to Harvard. Do you want to come with us? And she had come. And she had come to faith in Jesus. She, she discovered that God loves her. And she said, when you were telling me about Lazarus and Jesus raising his eyes to heaven and saying, Father, thank you that you have heard me. She said, I just heard that as a, an invitation from God to know that I still have a father who loves me. That he's alive and that he's calling me to continue to live on. Even though I've lost my natural father. That's just what God does. He takes a hope-killing Disappointment and turns it into death-killing hope. Martha, do you believe this? May I increase in you? May I increase my life in you? What, what would keep you from receiving that gift, Martha? I am the resurrection and the life. What are your disappointments? What makes you feel gray? What makes it hard to get out of bed? What makes you reach out to some quick fix or some kind of addiction to find a little color just for a moment? How would this all be different if you realized that Jesus today wants to give you life and wants to make you fully alive? He does not minimize the disappointments of your life. In fact, he has shed tears. In fact, he's offered his life for the pain of your life. He'll stand with you in the midst of your gloom, but he'll always call you to life in the full. What would that look like for you to say yes this morning? They say, and maybe you've heard this before, that if when Jesus called Lazarus out of that tomb, he hadn't said, Lazarus, come forth that he would have opened all the graves of Palestine. So great is his capacity to give life. 
I think when Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth, he's not just talking to Lazarus. I think he's talking to Martha and to Mary and to me and to you. And he's saying, Martha, come forth and live. If you are a young person hearing this today, I want to invite you, if you take this, if you say yes to Jesus, to consider the power of disappointment in your life and to drive a stake in the ground and to say, I am going to dare to risk in life. I'm going to live fully alive. I'm not going to hedge my bet against disappointment. I'll take risks because I always know in the depth of my disappointment, Jesus will meet me there calling me to new life. Live fully alive and plan to do so. While you're young, Henry David Thoreau says, when it's time to die, let us not discover that we've never lived. Start young. If you're old, and I believe this passage has special relevance to those who are late in life. Notice that it's only John that remembers the the, the resurrection of Lazarus. I mean, an, an amazing miracle. You think the other gospel writers, why just John? Because John lived older than all the other apostles. He went through decades which means that he lived long enough to watch those he cared about die or move away. He was, lived long enough, with all the joy, but he lived long enough to, to experience disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. As we do who live many decades, we find ourselves ultimately alone, bereft of the kind of markers of home that we once knew. The world has changed, and we've lost so much by then. And and John pastors a congregation that must have said as they waited for the return of Jesus that just seemed to last forever. Lord, if you'd only have come by now. Can you hear John as a pastor offering this text to that community? And to all of us who are late in life. Offering us new hope to dare to live again. To step out and try something new. Mark Batterson says it's never too late to become what you might have been. Jesus is the one who says, behold, I make all things new. Even me? Yeah, I make you new. Are you ready to do it today? You could be fully alive too. Jesus increases. We live fully alive. And as Irenaeus says, God is glorified. Brothers and sisters, let's come forth and live fully today. Will you pray with me? God, you know so much about us. You know where we are. You know where our fears are. You know where our pain is. You know where our grief lies. You know where we hide. And yet you call us out of all of that in the newness of life. Lord, we're here to confess you are Lord, you are alive, and to lay ourselves before you saying, would you be the one who lives within me? And so we offer our tithes and offerings really just as reminders to us that all of us, we're offering all of us, every part of who we are, the fullness of who we are and the fullness of who you are, that we might be alive. So bless these tithes and these offerings. Bless the people who will receive them and with them a witness to the life-giving power and hope of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, Visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7000.
7301, extension 117.